0: Chapter 27 of Hans Brinker. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. Hans Brinker, or the Silver Skates, by Mary Mapes Dodge. Chapter 27: The Merchant Prince and the Sister Princess. well might peter feel that his sister's house was like an enchanted castle large and elegant as it was a spell of quiet hung over it the very lion crouching at its gate seemed to have been turned into stone through magic within it was guarded by genii in the shape of red-faced servants who sprang silently forth at the summons of bell or knocker there was a cat also who appeared as knowing as any puss in boots and a brass gnome in the hall whose business it was to stand with outstretched arms ready to receive sticks and umbrellas safe within the walls bloomed a garden of delight where the flowers firmly believed it was summer and a sparkling fountain was laughing merrily to itself because jack frost could not find it there was a sleeping beauty too just at the time of the boys arrival but when peter like a true prince flew lightly up the stairs and kissed her eyelids the enchantment was broken the princess became his own good sister and the fairy castle just one of the finest most comfortable houses of the hague as may well be believed the boys received the heartiest of welcomes after they had conversed awhile with their lively hostess one of the genii summoned them to a grand repast in a red curtained room where floor and ceiling shone like polished ivory, and the mirrors suddenly blossomed into rosy-cheeked boys as far as the eye could reach. They had caviar now, and salmagundi, and sausage and cheese, besides salad and fruit, and biscuit and cake. How the boys could partake of such a medley was a mystery to Ben, for the salad was sour, and the cake was sweet. The fruit was dainty and the salmagundi, heavy with onions and fish. But, while he was wondering, he made a hearty meal, and was soon absorbed in deciding whether he really preferred the coffee or the anisette cordial. It was delightful, too, this taking one's food from dishes of frosted silver and liqueur glasses from which Titania herself might have sipped. The young gentleman afterward wrote to his mother that, pretty and choice as things were at home, he had never known what cut glass, china, and silver services were until he visited the Hague. Of course, Peter's sister soon heard all of the boy's adventures. How they had skated over forty miles and seen rare sights on the way. How they had lost their purse and found it again. How one of the party had fallen and given them an excuse for a grand sail in an ice boat. How, above all, they had caught a robber and so for a second time save their slippery purse and now peter said the lady when the story was finished you must write at once to tell the good people of brook that your adventures have reached their height that you and your fellow travelers have all been taken prisoners the boys looked startled (laughs) indeed i shall do no such thing laughed peter we must leave tomorrow at noon but the sister had already decided differently, and a Holland lady is not to be easily turned from her purpose. In short, she held forth such strong temptations and was so bright and cheerful and said so many coaxing and unanswerable things, both in English and Dutch, that the boys were all delighted when it was settled that they should remain at the Hague for at least two days. Next, the grand skating race was talked over, Mevrouw van Gend gladly promised to be present on the occasion i shall witness your triumph peter she said for you are the fastest skater i ever knew peter blushed and gave a slight cough as carl answered for him ah Mevrouw, he is swift but all the brook boys are fine skaters even the rag-pickers and he thought bitterly of poor hans the lady laughed that will make the race all the more exciting she said but i shall wish each of you to be the winner at this moment her husband mynheer van gend came in and the enchantment falling upon the boys was complete the invisible fairies of the household at once clustered about them whispering that jasper van gend had a heart as young and fresh as their own and if he loved anything in this world more than industry it was sunshine and frolic They hinted also something about his having a heart full of love and a head full of wisdom, and finally gave the boys to understand that when Mynheer said a thing, he meant it. Therefore his frank, Well, now, this is pleasant, as he shook hands with them all, made the boys feel quite at home and as happy as squirrels. There were fine paintings in the drawing-room, an exquisite statuary, and portfolios filled with rare Dutch engravings, besides many beautiful and curious things from china and japan the boys felt that it would require a month to examine all the treasures of the apartment ben noticed with pleasure english books lying upon the table he saw also over the carved upright piano life-size portraits of william of orange and his english queen a sight that for a time brought england and holland side by side in his heart William and Mary have left a halo around the English throne to this day, he the truest patriot that ever served an adopted country, she the noblest wife that ever sat upon a British throne, up to the time of Victoria and Albert the Good. As Ben looked at the pictures he remembered accounts he had read of King William's visit to the Hague in the winter of 1691. He who sang the Battle of Ivry, had not yet told the glowing story of that day but Ben knew enough of it to fancy that he could almost hear the shouts of the delighted populace as he looked from the portraits to the street, which at this moment was aglow with a bonfire, kindled in a neighbouring square. That royal visit was one never to be forgotten. For two years William of Orange had been monarch of a foreign land, his head working faithfully for England, but his whole heart yearning for Holland now when he sought its shores once more the entire nation bade him welcome multitudes flocked to the hague to meet him many thousands came sliding or skating along the frozen canals from amsterdam rotterdam leyden Haarlem, delft from macaulay's history of england all day long the festivities of the capital were kept up the streets were gorgeous with banners evergreen arches trophies and mottos of welcome and emblems of industry william saw the deeds of his ancestors and scenes of his own past life depicted on banners and tapestries along the streets at night superb fireworks were displayed upon the ice its glassy surface was like a mirror sparkling fountains of light sprang up from below to meet the glittering cascades leaping upon it then a feathery fire of crimson and green shook millions of rubies and emeralds into the ruddy depths of the ice and all this time the people were shouting god bless william of orange long live the king they were half mad with joy and enthusiasm william their own prince their stadtholder had become the ruler of three kingdoms he had been victorious in council and in war and now in his hour of greatest triumph had come as a simple guest to visit them the king heard their shouts with a beating heart it is a great thing to be beloved by one's country his english courtiers complimented him upon his reception yes said he but the shouting is nothing to what it would have been if mary had been with me while ben was looking at the portraits mynheer van gend was giving the boys an account of a recent visit to antwerp as it was the birthplace of quentin matsys the blacksmith who for love of an artist's daughter studied until he became a great painter the boys asked their host if he had seen any of MATSIS' works yes indeed he replied and excellent they are his famous triptych in a chapel of the antwerp cathedral with the descent from the cross on the center paddle is especially fine but i confess i was more interested in his well what well mynheer asked ludwig one in the heart of the city near the same cathedral whose lofty steeple is of such delicate workmanship that the french emperor said it reminded him of mechlin lace the well is covered with a gothic canopy surmounted by the figure of a knight in full armor it is all of metal and proves that Matsis was an artist at the forge as well as at the easel indeed his great fame is mainly derived from his miraculous skill as an artificer in iron next mynheer showed the boy some exquisite berlin castings which he had purchased in antwerp they were iron jewelry and very delicate beautiful medallions designed from rare paintings bordered with fine tracery and open work worthy he said of being worn by the fairest lady of the land consequently the necklace was handed with a bow and a smile to the blushing mevro van Gent. Something in the lady's aspect, as she bent her bright young face over the gift, caused my ear to say earnestly, "I can read your thoughts, sweetheart." She looked up in playful defiance. "Ah, now I am sure of them. You were thinking of those noble-hearted women, but for whom Prussia might have fallen. I know it by that proud light in your eye." The proud light in my eye placed me false, then she answered. I had no such grand matter in my mind. To confess the simple truth, I was only thinking how lovely this necklace would be with my blue brocade." "'So, so!' exclaimed the rather crestfallen spouse. "'But I can think of the other, Jasper, and it will add a deeper value to your gift. You remember the incident, do you not, Peter?' how when the French were invading Prussia, and for lack of means the country was unable to defend itself against the enemy, the women turned the scale by pouring their plate and jewels into the public treasury. Aha! thought Mynheer, as he met his vrouw's kindling glance. The proud light is there now, in earnest. Peter remarked maliciously that the women had still proved true to their vanity on that occasion, for jewellery they would have— if gold or silver were wanted by the kingdom, they would relinquish it, and use iron. But they could not do without their ornaments. "'What of that?' said the vrouw, kindling again. "'It is no sin to love beautiful things if you adapt your material to circumstances. All I have to say is, the women saved their country, and indirectly introduced a very important branch of manufacture. Is that not so, Jasper?' "'Of course it is, sweetheart,' said Mynheer. "'But Peter needs no word of mine to convince him that all the world over women have never been found wanting in their country's hour of trial, though, bowing to Mevrouw, his own countrywomen stand foremost in the records of female patriotism and devotion.' Then, turning to Ben, the host talked with him in English of the fine old Belgian city. Among other things he told the origin of its name. had been taught that antwerp was derived from antwerf meaning on the wharf but mynheer van Gent gave him a far more interesting derivation it appears that about three thousand years ago a great giant named antigonus lived on the river scheldt on the site of the present city of antwerp this giant claimed half the merchandise of all navigators who passed his castle of course some were inclined to oppose this simple regulation in such cases antigonus by way of teaching them to practice better banners next time cut off and threw into the river the right hands of the merchants thus handwerpen or hand throwing changed to antwerp came to be the name of the place the escutcheon or arms of the city has two hands upon it what better proof than this could one have of the truth of the story, especially when one wishes to believe it, when Mynheer van Gent had related in two languages the story of Antwerp, he was tempted to tell other legends, some in English, some in Dutch, and so the moments borne upon the swift shoulders of gnomes and giants glided rapidly away toward bedtime. It was hard to break up so pleasant a party, but the van Gent household moved with the regularity of clockwork. There was no lingering at the threshold when the cordial Good Night was spoken. Even while our boys were mounting the stairs the invisible household fairies again clustered around them, whispering that system and regularity had been chief builders of the Master's prosperity. Beautiful chambers with three beds in them were not to be found in this mansion some of the rooms contained two but each visitor slept alone before morning the motto of the party evidently was every boy his own chrysalis and peter at least was not sorry to have it so tired as he was ben after noting a curious bell rope in the corner began to examine his bedclothes. each article filled him with astonishment the exquisitely fine pillow spread trimmed with costly lace and embroidered with a gorgeous crest and initial the deck-bed cover a great silk bag large as the bed stuffed with swans down and the pink satin quilts embroidered with garlands of flowers he could scarcely sleep for thinking what a queer little bed it was so comfortable and pretty too with all its queerness in the morning he examined the top coverlet with care for he wished to send home a description of it in his next letter it was a beautiful Japanese spread marvelous in texture as well as in its variety of brilliant coloring and worth as ben afterward learned not less than three hundred dollars the floor was of polished wooden mosaic nearly covered with a rich carpet bordered with thick black fringe another room displayed a margin of satin wood around the carpet hung with tapestry its walls of crimson silk were topped with a gilded cornice which shot down gleams of light far into the polished floor. Over the doorway of the room in which Jacob and Ben slept was a bronze stork that, with outstretched neck, held a lamp to light the guests into the apartment. Between the two narrow beds of carved white wood and ebony stood the household treasure of the Van Gentz, a massive oaken chair upon which the Prince of Orange had once sat during a council meeting. Opposite stood a quaintly carved clothes-press, waxed and polished to the utmost, and filled with precious stores of linen. Beside it a table holding a large Bible, whose great golden clasps looked poor compared with its solid, ribbed binding made to outlast six generations. There was a ship-model on the mantel-shelf, and over it hung an old portrait of Peter the Great who, you know, once gave the dockyard cats of Holland a fine chance to look at a king, which is one of the special prerogatives of cats. Peter, though Tsar of Russia, was not too proud to work as a common shipwright in the dockyards of Sardam and Amsterdam, that he might be able to introduce among his countrymen Dutch improvements in shipbuilding. It was this willingness to be thorough even in the smallest beginnings that earned for him the title of Peter the Great. Peter, the little, comparatively speaking, was up first the next morning. Knowing the punctual habits of his brother-in-law, he took good care that none of the boys should oversleep themselves. A hard task he found it to wake Jacob Poot, but after pulling that young gentleman out of bed, and, with Ben's help, dragging him about the room for a while, he succeeded in arousing him. While Jacob was dressing, and moaning within him because the felt slippers, provided him as a guest were too tight for his swollen feet peter wrote to inform their friends at brook of the safe arrival of his party at the hague he also begged his mother to send word to hans brinker that dr bookman had not yet reached leyden but that a letter containing hans's message had been left at the hotel where the doctor always lodged during his visits to the city tell him also wrote peter that i shall call there again as i pass through leyden the poor boy seemed to feel sure that the maester would hasten to save his father. But we, who know the gruff old gentleman better, may be confident he will do no such thing. It would be a kindness to send a visiting physician from Amsterdam to the cottage at once, if you frau. In Holland women of the lower grades of society do not take the title of Mrs. or mevrouw when they marry, as with us. They assume their husbands' names but are still called miss or euphra if euphra brinker will consent to receive any but the great king of the maesters as dr brookman certainly is you know mother added peter that i have always considered sister van gent's house as rather quiet and lonely but i assure you it is not so now he says we make him wish that he had a houseful of boys of his own he has promised to let us ride on his noble black horses they are gentle as kittens he says if one have but a firm touch at the rein ben according to jacob's account is a glorious rider and your son peter is not a very bad hand at the business so we two are to go out together this morning mounted like knights of old after we return brother van ghent says he will lend jacob his english pony and obtain three extra horses and all of the party are to trot about the city in a grand cavalcade led on by him. He will ride the black horse which father sent him from Friesland. My sister's pretty roan with a long white tail is lame, and she will ride none other, else she would accompany us. I could scarcely close my eyes last night after sister told me of the plan, only the thought of poor Hans Brinker and his sick father checked me. But for that I could have sung for joy." Ludwig has given us a name already, the Brook Cavalry. We flatter ourselves that we shall make an imposing appearance, especially in single file. The Brook Cavalry were not disappointed. Mynheer van Ghent readily procured good horses, and all the boys could ride, though none was as perfect horsemen, or horseboys, as Peter and Ben. They saw the Hag to their heart's content, and the Hag saw them, expressing its approbation loudly, through the mouths of small boys and cart-dogs, silently, through bright eyes that, not looking very deeply into things, shone as they looked at the handsome Carl, and twinkled with fun as a certainly portly youth with shaking cheeks rode past Bumpity Bumpity Bump. On their return the boys pronounced the great porcelain stove in the family sitting-room a decidedly useful piece of furniture, for they could gather around it and get warm without burning their noses or bringing on Chilblains. It was so very large that, although hot elsewhere, it seemed to send out warmth by the houseful. Its pure white sides and polished brass rings made it a pretty object to look upon, notwithstanding the fact that our ungrateful Ben, while growing thoroughly warm and comfortable beside it, concocted a satirical sentence for his next letter, to the effect that a stove in Holland must, of course, resemble a great tower of snow, or it wouldn't be in keeping with the oddity of the country. To describe all the boys saw and did on that day and the next, would render this little book a formidable volume indeed. They visited the brass cannon foundry, saw the liquid fire poured into moulds, and watched the smiths who, half-naked, stood in the shadow like demons playing with flame, They admired the grand public buildings and massive private houses, the elegant streets, and noble Bosch, pride of all beauty-loving Hollanders. The palace, with its brilliant mosaic floors, its frescoed ceilings, and gorgeous ornaments, filled Ben with delight. He was surprised that some of the churches were so very plain, elaborate sometimes in external architecture, but bare and bleak within with their blank, whitewashed walls if there were no printed record the churches of holland would almost tell her story i will not enter into the subject here except to say that ben who had read of her struggles and wrongs and of the terrible retribution she had from time to time dealt forth could scarcely tread a holland town without mentally leaping horror-stricken over the bloody stepping stones of its history he could not forget philip of spain nor the duke of alva even while rejoicing in the prosperity that followed the liberation he looked into the meekest of dutch eyes for something of the fire that once lit the haggard faces of those desperate lawless men who wearing with pride the title of beggars which their oppressors had mockingly cast upon them became the terror of land and sea In Haarlem he had wondered that the air did not still resound with the cries of Alva's three thousand victims. In Leyden his heart had swelled in sympathy, as he thought of the long procession of scarred and famished creatures, who after the siege, with Adrian van der Werf at their head, tottered to the great church to sing a glorious anthem, because Leyden was free. He remembered that this was even before they had tasted the bread brought by the Dutch ships that would praise God first, then eat. Thousands of trembling voices were raised in glad thanksgiving. For a moment it swelled higher and higher, then suddenly changed to sobbing. Not one of all the multitude could sing another note. But who shall say that anthem, even to its very end, was not heard in heaven? Here, in the Hague, other thoughts came to Ben of how Holland in later years unwillingly put her head under the French yoke, and how, galled and lashed past endurance, she had resolutely jerked it out again. He liked her for that. What nation of any spirit, thought he, could be expected to stand such work, paying all her wealth into a foreign treasury and yielding up the flower of her youth under foreign conscription? It was not so very long ago, either, since English guns had been heard booming close by in the German Ocean. Well, all the fighting was over at last. Holland was a snug little monarchy now in her own right, and Ben, for one, was glad of it. Arrived at this charitable conclusion he was prepared to enjoy to the utmost all the wonders of her capital. He quite delighted Mynheer van Ghent with his hearty and intelligent interest. So, in fact, did all the boys, for a merrier, more observant party never went sight-seeing. End of chapter